I've been bleeding after sex for a while now. And today I read the first thing that might, that made me think of Layla Martin or the first thing that kind of resonated for me. Cause like my pap's all clear, like all my, my ultrasound was all clear and like, what the fuck, you know? But one thing was like cervical inflammation. I do have tender, tenderness on my cervix, you know, and a lot of women do. Mm-hmm. And Layla Martin are always talked about that as like, you know, what kind of trauma do you have to clear? Welcome to the Lady Voice Podcast. Dismantle the patriarchy in your mind with Danielle and Jenny. This ties into the work of Tammy Kent, who was the first female physical therapist. Like she was the first person to like look at the pelvic region as like a place that needed tending to like a physical therapist would. She shares a lot about her experience in her book, Wild Feminine, which is an incredible book. And I believe everyone with a vagina should read that book. (laughs) She just talks about going in and working with the muscles in the vagina and how they work together. There's four muscle groups in the vagina. And she talks about how two tend to hold the most tension. So the other two tend to atrophy. And the two that hold the most tension, eventually they get really tired as would happen when there's a muscular imbalance. And that's when women start noticing issues with the lower pelvic floor. She's had women who've had sexual dysfunction for 20 years, walk out after one session and be pain-free. And obviously that's not going to be every woman's experience with this. That is pretty powerful. If you think about how much the pelvic floor goes through with childbirth, for example, it's wild. And we have never thought that this part of the body would need extra care post-childbirth there's just never been room for women to have a conversation around their own recovery needs post-childbirth. It really does tie into the lack of care in the medical community for women historically, the bias that has been present against women in the medical field. It's so sad. Like I had home birth midwives attending to me and not a single person talked to me about my pelvic floor health and my recovery afterwards beyond six weeks. It was just six weeks is all you get from us. We have no further information for you. (laughs) You know, like I, it didn't even occur to me to ask for it, you know? Right. It's just like, who, who would know anything about what I'm about my body right now. Am I supposed to know something about my body right now? Like the undiscovered land, right? Like this is your undiscovered land. There's emphasis on this part of a woman's body when it's in regards to a man, right? Like vagina is translated as sheath. Everything about a woman's reproductive system medically has been in regards to service to a man. Just recently, the female, the actual female clitoris was discovered and it's so much larger than previously believed. Why this is a problem? Women have been having 
genital surgery for as long as surgery has been performed. And there hasn't been an anatomically correct study of the female body. And so due to incorrect surgery, women have been suffering silently due to medical negligence. There isn't space for women's reproductive pain in the medical community up until very recently. And even recently, it's only certain individuals. There's a woman, Jessica Pinn. She is single-handedly, I believe, (laughs) working to get an anatomically correct clitoris in medical books. For med students. (laughs) And she is being denied. This is wild to me. She was told it's too vulgar. Oh my goodness. What? Show this to children. I'm not even kidding. I follow her on Instagram. Oh, what? (laughs) Jessica Ann Pinn. Everyone should follow her and support her work. It matters because women get hurt. It matters that there is so much resistance in the medical community to make this simple change. God. Um, it's wild because the female clitoris, the full organ, when put right next to a penis, like the anatomically correct drawing of a penis, which has been in medical books since medical books started having anatomically correct drawings. <laughs> when you look at them together, you're like, oh yeah, now this makes sense how all genitals started as the same genital. <laughs> and then the morphing that would happen in utero. The female clitoris literally looks like every orchid that you see in Trader Joe's. This is not a conversation that's easy to access or find anywhere. It's just so uncommon to find anyone who's having like a positive conversation around their genitalia, you know, like that's sad. Ooh, that's sad. And like every conversation around female sexuality, like every standard conversation is just like, Women, like female sexuality is so complex and so like, it's like, and and that it's talked about in a way that's like hard to access or like difficult to understand. That just feels like a cop-out because we've just been ignored for so long. (laughs) You know, it's not like any real work has been put into this. Any real effort or understanding has been put into this. And therefore, I think as a result, Anybody's sexuality is just like boxed in to these like super rigid structures, linear understanding of sexuality. When we're talking about female sexual dysfunction, women always get gaslit that it's their emotional body that is like to blame. They're too emotional. There's something going on in their brain. Female Viagra was trying to target the female brain. Now, a lot of women listening to this are like, well, yeah, because if emotionally I don't feel connected to my partner, I don't want to have sex. That's valid. That's one aspect of sexuality. This, I believe, is an aspect of male healthy sexuality as well. But we're looking at a bunch of different things. We're looking at different forms of oppression and suppression from church and state, the way religious organizations have suppressed human sexuality Women's sexuality is only allowed to be expressed through childbirth. (laughs) Labor. Receiving. The idea of sex as performance versus the idea of sex as pleasure. 
and porn sex is performance orientation. And almost everybody's sexual education comes from porn. But pornography is so limited in its response. It's like glorifying this like male archetype. It's like a man is just reduced to his penis. And it's like the biggest and the fastest and the best, <laughs> the hardest. <laughs> like this idea that is present in porn is still, it's still what most men are taught sex is. And it's all performance. So then suddenly your penis isn't as hard and as big and as fast as you used to go, you know, when you're a little bit older. And it's like now all of your manhood is up for question. When this happens, you know, the amount of shame men feel for like a really natural experience. It's like what women maybe started feeling really early on regarding their sexuality. It's like coming up for men at this like later stage. And it's still just the wrong conversation to be having around sex. Like sex is pleasure orientation. And moving from a performance orientation to pleasure, like uh, going back to Layla Martin, you brought her up earlier and we brought her up in uh, one of our first podcasts. She is like a tantric sex coach and she has videos on YouTube. This is my interpretation of her mission. I don't know if this is exactly how she would describe it, but redirecting people to the power of pleasure, how to have pleasurable sexual interaction, owning your turn on, owning your arousal, owning your sense of pleasure, and like how that experience is vast so much more vast than this like pornographic idea of sex she has a video that um i think is helpful if you feel comfortable with this and if you had like a partner you felt comfortable with where it's like um basically like a vulva massage she calls it a pussy massage it's like what you were talking about earlier it's a way of connecting to your muscular structure in your lower pelvic floor. And it's different than the work of Tammy Kent. If you're with a sexual partner doing this work, how vulnerable and scary having someone actually do like physical therapy touch on this part of your body can be. But the benefit of having it done, it can really help those muscles. It can help clear up a lot of uh, like pain issues inflammation issues and regardless of why medically it's happening doing light massage always can help reduce some inflammation so it's worth exploring yeah that's amazing just like I honestly have never had a partner who I have felt comfortable asking to support me in that way Mm -hmm. until right now I could easily make that request and I'm going to in like an hour. To me, sex in a relationship is the canary in the mind. It isn't everything. Sex is not everything in a relationship, but it is everything in a relationship. When sex starts to not be pleasurable <laughs> anymore, when you're like not wanting to have sex with each other anymore, it does show that there are things happening uh, that maybe need to be resolved. Those things need to be resolved before sex can be resolved. 
the only thing that tends to be focused on in a relationship though is the lack of sex i would say 90% of the time the lack of sex is a woman not wanting to have sex with her partner i don't know what the actual percentages are but in my experience talking to people <laughs> it's usually a woman being like i just don't want to have sex with him i don't know i just and Many boys. I don't know. I feel so bad about this. And now I'm awake. But I'm feeling a lot of anxiety about it. So, I mean, it's like a really complicated conversation. It's not like sex. This is where women get gaslit, that they have sexual dysfunction. <laughs> and this bothers me a lot. Whether it's asexual to like, just you want to fuck someone 24 hours a day. It doesn't matter. There's just a spectrum in sex. Sexual dysfunction is a physical issue. <laughs> there is no space in the medical community for sexual dysfunction in women to be a physical issue. It is classified as a mental issue. Yeah. And that is a huge bias. We're not like a dude can't get a heart on and we're like, well, you're having a mental issue. Well, he is. He is maybe overthinking things, but we're not like, we got to fix your brain, buddy. We're like, here's a pill that's going to engorge your <laughs> blood vessels and give you an erection. You know, like we don't do that to women. We're like, well, she's got a problem. And we need to fix that <laughs> mental health problem. Okay, what you were saying earlier about like other, like, I don't know, there comes like sort of a reckoning moment in male sexuality when like... The, their physical response starts to change. And that's where I'm actually, you know, most interested in starting to like date people or meet people is in that place. Because you're right, usually the conversation stays the same, like, oh, I guess I need hormones or, oh, I guess I need Viagra or whatever it is. But like, if the conversation is different at that point of like, oh, what's going on here? I'm a multidimensional person. I'm not just like this ego performance driven sex god or whatever, like I was my whole life, you know, that born king. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, here's the, here's where I want to meet a person. Like, I don't want to meet you. I don't want to meet you in performance land. I have zero interest. Like if you're willing to take yourself out of the box of like, look, I can get hard all the time. Anytime I want. I'm like, I don't want someone who's going to get hard anytime he wants. Like yeah. I want to, I want to be in conversation with someone who's like, Hey, I have feelings and like my body is activating because like I'm in connection with another person, you know, not because I'm like, boing, <laughs> you know, blast off. Like, I'm just like, that doesn't feel like connection or pleasure. Yeah. Like that's shared. That sounds like a blast off in maybe your body, but like, what about the fucking rest of us, you know? <laughs> oh my god I oh my god not to downplay a really fun fuck sesh like that can be great sometimes I don't know or at least it used to be for me but like <laughs> like I think it goes both ways like we we talk a lot about like you know female sexuality but I also believe that like male sexuality is super repressed super boxed into this like performance oriented state it's really abusive actually it is to everyone everyone it's the way men were abused by the church, right? Like you're yeah. told this story about your sexuality for your entire life. It just is all you believe. It's a really limited experience. I really love Tantra. The idea is if your heart is closed, your dick won't work. <laughs> I love that. 
Awesome. What does that actually mean? It's the in-out conversation. Once again, life is in or out. If you're performance, you're out. You're only out. Women get stuck in a performance orientation in sex too. It's, do I look fuckable right now while I'm being fucked? Like all you're thinking about is how to position your body in a way that is enticing to a man, right? How does he think I look right now? That's a lot of women's experience in sex. It's how am I being perceived? But you cannot get in touch with your own pleasure at a deeper level for most of us. I'm going to say for most of us because nothing's 100%. But like for most of us, we cannot get in touch with our deeper pleasure if we're thinking about what we look like. We are so visually sensitive or so visually sensitive. All we are seeing is this like, this idea of a perfected female form. This is why I believe, you know, we're so conditioned to seek out non-medical interventions for our appearance. If you want to have the best sex of your life, go in and go in as deeply as you can. If you don't have trust with your partner, you can't go in. There is no space for in. That's like the first conversation. Like, can I trust this person to go in? Other conversations need to happen before you can have the sex conversation. Any conversation requires two people to be actually participating in that conversation. And it can't just be like, oh yeah, okay, I'll change things. And then nothing ever changes. Like, it's not about what someone says. It's about what someone does. The flip side of the performance (laughs) connection is the pleasure connection. Pleasure is an internal job. If you don't know this muscle exists, that conversation we had in our last podcast, you don't know it exists. If you can find it with yourself, then you can find it with someone else. So cervical orgasm, example. I, I don't think I had like a whole lot of knowledge about it, but I did have curiosity after having learned that like the cervix has like direct access to the heart. I've been aware of that this last year or so. And so when I had that connection with somebody who was reaching me really deeply, it was kind of like this symbiotic relationship of like, I am noticing this feeling where contact is being made and I'm opening my heart simultaneously. And then my pleasure exploded, you know, in ways I hadn't experienced before. Yeah. So yeah, I do think that like, even just basic awareness, maybe not even like, um, like, oh, I've done all these exercises or, oh, I'm in perfect health condition, you know, in my pelvic floor. Cause I'm certainly not like, yeah. I think just even just like a basic awareness of like your anatomy and how it, how it also like it's energetic connection in the rest of your body, like pleasure points, you know, or, um, are really important and can help a lot and do a lot. Right. Well, I mean, like what you're saying, I'm not a person who's done all the things that's performance orientation. Like to believe that you have to suddenly be more than you are right now is the performance where you are right now. There's always an access point to some level of pleasure because that's your nervous system's baseline response. If you are in a parasympathetic state, there is pleasure activators all through your body. It's recognizing, are you in a space that you can regulate your nervous system and go into this like 
restful space in your body where it's safe for you to relax and open up. Because for a lot of people, it isn't safe, whatever their living situation is, they're not actually safe to do that with their partner. There's a lot of reasons why that can be happening. It can be really subtle. Manipulation and control can be really subtle and hard to see. Having space to question, like, why can't I relax? That's important. And um, yeah, the first step, like sex is, again, the canary in the mind. You can't solve the sex problem without solving the other problems in a relationship. The amount of pressure I felt for performative sex at the end of my marriage, it was like a really awful experience for me. After I left my marriage, I was like, I'm going to make a short film. It's just going to be like a comedy, but it's going to describe my experience with sexual pressure. The first scene would be a man and a woman in a fancy restaurant eating dinner silently. You could feel the tension. There would be some there. <laughs> And he would be looking down at his plate and she would be like staring at him like, really? And then he'd look up like, what, what, you know, but like all silent, like her gaze would start to pan. And so with the camera over to the corner in the fancy restaurant, there would just be a giant inflatable penis over there (laughs) around like Barney, the dinosaur, like, (laughs) and then she like looks back at him like, really? And he's like, what, like again, silent, like hands up, like, I can't help it. I can't help it. (laughs) And then she's like mad, throws down her napkin, is walking into the bathroom, like down this hallway. And the penis is like in front of her, behind her. She's in the bathroom. Penis is just like dancing in the stall with her, you know? Squirmy. We weren't having the conversations that we needed to have to fix the sex conversation. The sex conversation was just getting louder and louder to the point where I felt like I was being chased by a giant inflatable penis. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm just trying to take a breath here. <laughs> yeah. But when I would share that story, like, or share my film idea, every woman got that. They were like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone does. Yeah. Everyone gets that. It was so gross. Like, how is that so one sided that, like, we all get it? You know, we've had that experience, yet the other side is just like, what? And it's just like, where is that disconnect? Like, why is that so hard to see or understand? Like, I think that's where male oppression is. It's like they're only allowed this thing, you know, culturally. Right. I believe the conversation's changing. I know it is. I talked to men. This is not all we're limited to, but I do believe a lot of men. are so conditioned, at least early on in life, to believe this is what it is. I'm with you. I don't want a man who's like, just like hard. <laughs> hard right now, you know, it's like gross. No. No, be a person, be a whole person with pleasure, experiences. Yeah, pleasure is all over your body. The, there, like we said, you can have an orgasm without any genital emulation. So what are we even doing right now? Like, Why are we doing this? This is not what I'm interested in. How to find your path to pleasure. I think that is a really important conversation. Yeah. And how can that finding your path to pleasure, how can we like reorient ourselves? So it is more, it's like, usually we have that conversation only about sex Mm -hmm. with a partner, you know, 
maybe masturbation would be like second in line. But like, what if we made that conversation like about everything? Like something I loved in that Tantra book, what was it called? Tantra Quest. So good. Um, something I loved about like the introduction to Tantra was like, um, basically it's like beginning with the five senses. Like there are 36 tapas, like 36 different, like I'm, this might be totally incorrect, an incorrect interpretation, but like pathways to pleasure. And the first five of them are the five senses. So like really having a, what is it like to really have a pleasurable moment with the way something smells Mm -hmm. or the way something feels to your touch or the way something like visually is alive to you and like really tuning into those moments. And what is it like to feel pleasure with, with those things? And it's like, and there are 36 of them and they get more metaphysical, you know, beyond the physical as you move along the 36. But I really love that orientation to the idea of pleasure and how to like grow that in yourself. And what if we like culturally started to move away from pleasure corresponding just to sex and had it become more about like a whole person experience and like every minute of your life, you know, mm-hmm. I think that would be an amazing shift. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that would be liberation. That would be liberation. Yeah. If there would be no need for anybody to do anything for anyone else, you know, because we'd be doing it for ourselves and then everything else would be like frosting on the cake, you know? Right. Well, it'd be about coming together in connection. Yeah. Actual connection without agenda. When you're talking about pleasure and like all the ways to feel pleasure, I believe that that word is so limited in our culture to sex. (laughs) Someone who has that orientation taste it feel it it's like gets really warped in someone's mind (laughs) to be like like this is sexual you're eating an apple and it's sexual like (laughs) you know it's like it's like a fence that you're like having the sensual experience with an apple but what does the word sensual actually mean sense being the base word sensual like you are using your senses you know sex should be a sensual experience you should be using your senses in sex it should not be a two-minute bam done experience if you're in a partnership with someone sex should be like constantly there but if you're not in a healthy relationship with someone sex constantly being there is oppressive and that is right hard right that's the barney dick conversation like if sex is always there in an unhealthy relationship it is so much pressure and it is overwhelming and you want to get away from it it's like disgusting in my marriage i was like i'm done with sex forever <laughs> <laughs> like i don't give a fuck i don't ever need to have sex again and i came out of my marriage i was like i think i'm going to go into like an ashram or something like Except I had dogs and you can't take your dogs into like a meditative community. The next time I had sex post-marriage, I was like, I love sex. (laughs) What was I thinking? (laughs) It was a shocking concept for me in my marriage. I would not have believed that I had the place inside of me that felt like I owed someone sex 
pre-marriage, I never had that feeling. I sat down with myself there and was having conversation. I think I could have just had those conversations outside of my marriage. I didn't understand that at the time though, because I was married. (laughs) I was like so limited in that. The pressure I felt like I owed my partner sex. It was really intense. And there finally came a moment where I was like, fuck this. And so I had the conversation. I was like, I'm not having sex with you anymore until something else gets figured out. That was a really liberating moment for me. I actually cried because I thought about all the women in my family before me who had never been able to have that conversation. And I was privileged enough to have it for different reasons. And I know a lot of women currently still can't have that conversation in their marriage. That's the part of marriage that I'm like, gross. To me, it's also like a part of monogamy, actually, which I doesn't have to be, but it is, I think, yeah, you know. Our, our whole paradigm of relationships is like you are paired up with one person who you owe this stuff to, whether you're married or not. I mean, I think marriage, marriage really locks it in. So it's hard to get out of it if, if something does fail. How you were saying that your post-birth care ended at six weeks. This is like this arbitrary number that doesn't have any scientific basis, actually. Six weeks is when most of the vaginal tearing has healed up. And it's really a marker for when women can have sex again, right? Like, did you get that conversation? That was the conversation that six weeks, it's safe for me to have sex, no matter what. Like, there's no checking to make sure. (laughs) And like, make sure of what? Like, that I'm not, you know, I was still in pain at six weeks. Mm-hmm. But I was supposed to have sex at six weeks. So I did. Like, it, it just didn't even, like, right. you know, right. Men should have access. Like, my husband should have access to my body six weeks postpartum. Right. And I kind of dreaded that deadline, to be honest. Like, you know, subconsciously, just like, I did, like, it felt pressure, you know? And at five weeks, I'm still struggling to walk with any comfort at all, you know? And I'm like, a week. <laughs> okay. Can rally. You know, it didn't even occur to me to question the six week deadline. Like, I don't know. It just didn't even occur to me. And it's the like, reason uh, it's implemented is to protect women. Men would try to have sex with their wives while they were in labor in the hospital. Men would try to have sex with their wives right after they gave birth. So it became a way to protect women and to give their bodies the space they needed to heal. And when I say heal, not go septic, right? Like you put a dirty anything in an open wound, you're going to go septic. How many women yeah. died from a dirty penis? Right. I mean, but that would never have been diagnosed, right? No. Oh, she just had an infection. <laughs> it's horrible. It, it is yeah. set up to protect women from men, but it isn't about women. Not truly male sexual pleasure. Sexual, yeah. Ideally, there would be female physical therapists in hospitals to help women post labor. Like we we center the post birth experience on like building strength and building capacity and just like recovery, healing, healing, like real healing. Because I I feel like I still have not healed. Like it's coming up a lot right now because I I'm having like good sex that I'm enjoying and I'm on the regular 
and now I'm bleeding a lot. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, I, I never bled before having a baby. And then, like, during my marriage, like, I wasn't having deep sex, you know? So I never, I didn't bleed either there. And right. now I'm having, like, a bigger kind of sex, like, more connection and deeper. And now the truth is, like, bleeding out of me. Like, oh, there's a lot going on in there that I'm like, oh, fuck. There's a lot. Talk about scar tissue in the vaginal. Mm. No, we don't talk about anything that wasn't post-childbirth. The workout community is really into recovery, right? Like this is blowing my mind. Workouts like now get into recovery mode and like it's a fucking science. Meanwhile, women go through like one of the most intense physical ordeals a human being can go through. That isn't a medical condition it isn't a disease it's like a physiological experience and there is zero conversation around recovery zero conversation around postpartum care true postpartum care we're just barely starting to acknowledge that postpartum depression is like a cultural issue right now and that there needs to be more awareness around it what a woman would have to fight for to be heard in the medical community for postpartum care. I hear stories all the time and it's really sad and disturbing. And oh yeah. It's all the time everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's even worse for women of color. It's really abusive. The medical community is still really abusive to women and you're not allowed to say anything about it as a woman because you have a healthy baby. If you're a woman who was lucky enough to have a healthy baby, then like shut the fuck up basically <laughs> like you got what you came here for i feel like where the lady voice you know shows up in sex and in our bodies and like what we get to understand about our bodies just this messaging that like all you are is a sheath and so understanding your own body is worthless has no value so we're not going to invest in that as a society understanding your own pleasure or like you you getting to experience pleasure is like totally a side note way side course if it's even you know on the table at all you know it's like and you should feel ashamed if that's something that you want if like that's something extra that if you are like in a relationship and you're not experiencing pleasure you should put up with it because you owe it to this person take care of them and that's like totally lady voice just being super creepy. <laughs> Objectification is always outside of yourself, looking towards yourself, like you imagining how you're being viewed. Lady voice is about taking up as little space as possible as a woman. Be small. You don't want to be the woman who's told she's emotional. You don't want to be the woman who's difficult. You don't want to be the woman who isn't enjoying sex because what does that mean for your womanhood, right? So fake it till you make it kind of thing. Lady voice does not allow for an inner experience. It's actually really scary to come in if you're really seeing yourself as an object because there's an in-between space being out and in. The in-between space feels like a death. It's really a scary place to go. If you're not having a good sexual experience, you better go Victoria's Secret, get more lingerie. Make it fuck that. Off on objectifying your body. And so many women can't have an orgasm during sex. So that compounds shame. How do you switch gears from being an object to a person? (laughs) 
your orientation to yourself means you're not orientated to the other. And that's the gear switch. In an unhealthy relationship dynamic, that creates a sense of unsafety. To be safe in a marriage for a lot of women that I know, this is still happening in 2021. To be safe in a marriage, you have to be oriented to your partner. That is internalized objectification. If you take one thing away from this podcast, internalized objectification, which is the lady voice, internalized objectification is you feeling like you need to orient somewhere else. Like you can't be you. What would it be like to truly consider that there's nothing wrong with you? Yeah. Like what would it be to like, just even for one day (laughs) as you like think about, and I'm going to do it too. Like as you think about your, your, your own pleasure, you know, your own sexual experience, your own just like personhood. Really, like, can can you actually accept that? What would all these different areas of your life be like if you really believed that there was nothing wrong with you and that you just got to be exactly where you were? It's really powerful, actually, because if you are in Lady Voice Land, if you're being objectified, it's always your fault. It's always something wrong with you. And so if you're like, well, what if I am okay? What if this isn't me? What if everything that I'm feeling is valid? What happens? Like what shifts? Right. And that's terrifying because that might be the beginning of the end of some things that you had in place, like a marriage, for example. Right. So we don't want to look at it. Yeah. There's a really simple meditation though (laughs) that we could do right now. And if you are listening and driving, do not do this meditation. But if you're sitting and you have two minutes, that's all it takes. And the meditation is to sit with your eyes closed and focus on the feeling one inch above your belly button. Just feel that point. And then allow your awareness to move in behind that point. How far can you push your awareness behind that point above your belly button? Just go in as far as you can go. Your awareness is unbounded here. Just sense how far you can push your awareness. And then allow your awareness to move to the center of your sternum, to the center of your chest. Just feel that center point in your chest and allow your awareness to move behind that center point in your chest. Again, how far can you push your awareness behind that center point? And then allowing your awareness to move behind the feeling in your eyes. So if you find that feeling behind your eyeballs, sort of tensiony electrical feeling. Allow your awareness to move behind that feeling. How far behind that feeling can you push your awareness? Now see if you can connect the feeling behind the point above your belly button the feeling behind the point in your chest and the feeling behind your eyes. Find 
a connection between all three of those places. And see if you can push your awareness even further out. And then allow your awareness to come back to the feeling around your body. What is in the space around your body right now? Without labeling anything, you're only you're only sensing the space around your body. Push your awareness in a circle as far as you can in all directions around your body. How far can you push your awareness out? This is the simplest meditation practice. Those are your boundaries. Those are your inner boundaries and external boundaries. That is who you are. You just covered all of you. And it's a powerful meditation. You don't have to know an answer for any issue in your life. All you have to do is define your boundaries. You need to know who you are, where you are in yourself, and where you are in the external world. When you define those two things, The only other thing you need to focus on is what do you want your life to feel like? You don't have to have all the answers today. All you need to know is, do you like the way your life feels today? And you don't need to think about all the things that you're imagining need to change. What do you want your life to feel like every day? And that will guide you. Like knowing what you want your life to feel like will guide you to yourself. That's a boundary. A feeling is a boundary and your feelings are valid. Do not gaslight yourself anymore. Like your feelings are totally valid. 